Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, a clinical microbiologist and the chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the president of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice in which we learn about updates in laboratory testing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, thanks for being here with us again this week, Dr. Maurice. It's always great to have you on this show. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's always great to be here. Uh, I heard from my mentor, Dr. Curtin, that he listens to the show and that we have a good rapport. So we have that going for us. Oh, nice. Awesome. Yeah. Well, um, we're going to be talking about COVID some more because it's still our hot topic and what we all think about. Um, now, you listen to the news and you see that the numbers of COVID-19 cases are going up in many parts of the United States. And there does seem to be a shortage of testing in many of these areas. Can you tell our listeners about the state of testing today? The bottom line is that testing is still very, is stretched very thin, again, much like the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, in those early days, it really was, there just weren't a lot of tests that were available. And the diagnostic manufacturers had to scale up their production of the tests, and then the labs had to rapidly bring them in and validate them and implement them. And we have seen a, a really dramatic rise in the number of tests performed per day. I think it's in the hundreds of thousands now in the U.S. of tests we perform daily. I know at Mayo Clinic Labs, we've performed, I think, 800,000 or so tests, over 250,000 just for Minnesotans. So we do a lot, but the challenge is that even though those numbers are big, that the COVID pandemic itself can be quite overwhelming. And as we've seen in the number of positive cases, particularly across the southern U.S., but in other areas as well, as again, really, it's like we built the capacity now we're seeing the surge in demand because there's a rapid increase in cases, and now it's sort of putting us a little bit back uh, underwater again across the country, really. And it's not just the labs, it's the manufacturers as well. So that's where we stand, and it's a tough spot. Yeah, well, I know from our own lab here, <clears throat> in my position as chair of our division of clinical microbiology, we are now in the process of evaluating and, and implementing our eighth and maybe our ninth test for COVID-19 PCR or molecular amplification method. And one of the things that we think about is just trying to meet the capacity for our patient care. And it comes down to shortages of testing kits, instruments being down. You know, if we were at a perfect state, we could perform a lot of tests, but you can't always rely on being at a perfect state. You know, things go wrong with testing, instruments break down, um, you run out of kits, you run out of some of the components to do a test like a plastic pipette tip. Yeah. So I can't even imagine how the labs in some of the areas where they're really being hit hard right now are doing. Yeah, and it's, and again, it's as you say, it, it's really not just the labs. In talking to some industry experts, it's everything. It's plastics. It's actually the manufacturing of nucleic acid-free plastics. I mean, this is, you know, things you would never think could get overwhelmed. Yeah. With the overwhelming number of tests needed globally have really, it's just every day, I think there's some new area of the supply chain for this test that gets stretched thin and that affects everybody. One of the things that I've been involved with, and hopefully we'll get to talk about more, is I'm getting involved on some global efforts to look at testing because the U.S. isn't alone in needing more tests. There's just data being produced now to help 
emphasize the need for tests and how important they are. And I've seen some of that. Uh, and it really does show that a country's ability to manage the pandemic is direct, directly related to having a sufficient number of tests. And so that's why I think we have to really think responsibly now, not just in the lab, but understanding that the behaviors of everyone in the country drives a need for those tests. And so I think we have to really start looking, taking a hard look in the mirror, myself included, about what are we doing um, it, to help our country in managing the pandemic and therefore reducing the number of tests that have to be available uh, to, on, a, on a given day. Well, you know, that's a really good point, Bill, because what we're doing and the responsibility that each of us has in preventing infection can go a long way in um, preventing some of these test shortages we're seeing. For example, if we all practice safe distancing and wearing our masks and washing our hands, then evidence shows that we would have fewer cases and then we wouldn't have these hot spots where they're running out of testing and ICU beds and of course people are getting very sick. But then at the same time, there's a lot of debate about the benefits of wearing masks. And you've been posting on Twitter some really interesting <laughs> statistics. Uh, do you want to share some of those? Because I think it's just really powerful uh, information. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. I, you know, one of the things that the upside uh, of COVID is that we have learned so much in such a short period of time uh, that there, you know, is it a little, slightly more than 160 days ago that the virus actually was sequenced and now look where we are. Wow. But the downside of that is I think there's a little bit of information overload and there's lots of different information that gets out there. It becomes difficult for the healthcare community, honestly, to digest and to, to form an opinion on, let alone the public at large, which is what we're talking about here. Uh, so then masking is certainly part of that. So there's really two, two types of uh, masks, one that actually prevents you from catching the virus if someone exposes you to it and they're not, they're not in any way trying to prevent spreading it. Those are the N95 masks and the PPE, which we heard about very much in the early days for healthcare workers. But the other masks, which have caused a lot of confusion, are just kind of cloth masks, uh, masks that won't necessarily prevent you from catching the virus in isolation. But if they're used collectively, they actually help a lot. So what the numbers show, if, if two people are around each other for 10 minutes and one of them has COVID, the chance that the person that doesn't have COVID is going to catch it is really high. Um, it's hard to know. We haven't done those studies, but we can say it's very high likelihood, so much so that they have to be quarantined and tested, So, which is important for right, the test is it's high enough risk we have to test them to see if they had been exposed or just put them in quarantine. Uh, if, both of, if both those people are wearing masks, just a cloth mask, not a protective mask, that, that likelihood drops by about 80%. Wow. So this, and then if you add social distancing on top of that, it drops to less than five. And you know, that's really what we have seen every healthcare and non-healthy, really every setting that has employed these measures has seen a dramatic drop in the number of cases. So unfortunately, I think there's a lot, because it, of our country and, if, and because of the, the, our, our prizing of civil liberties, which is extremely important, sometimes this is getting wrapped up in that debate, but the, the facts are the facts. And that really is if people mask and they use social distancing just in places where it makes sense, uh, it's gonna drop the need for tests dramatically. Well, that's a really good point. And you know, it's a fairly easy thing to wear a mask. I know sometimes they're uncomfortable if it's hot outside, but um, they're, cheap and readily available. And like you said, if you add safe distancing, social distancing, then, you know, it's a pretty doable uh, preventative measure that has such great results. And I think we've seen that in our own department, 
as far as now we've gone, of course, to universal masking. And I think that the risks or the rates of people getting exposed has just dropped right down. Yeah, I mean, I was, I haven't been uh, recently, but I ha was part of the COVID-19 management team for, for Rochester and for the Midwest. And once we went to the universal masking, um, and again, this is just with healthcare workers and, and patients always wearing a, some kind of protective mask, not necessarily the high filtration N95, we really had actually no documented, uh, we went basically to zero high-risk exposures because we very stringently applied those. And I can tell you that the documented cases of exposure have been when people let their guard down, carpooling to work. You know, you just don't think of it. In, in a break room, break rooms, as you know, are a really hot area of people because, you know, and they haven't, hey, <laughs> the need to interact is a human need. So right. it's totally understandable. And we have, what, over 30 muscles in our face just for uh, communicating expression, right? Mm -hmm. So facial expression is a huge part of human communication. That's why we like Zoom meetings better than phone meetings. As long as you remember that you're on Zoom because you can have some Zoom embarrassments. But um, <laughs> I mean, that's, it, it, so uh, these are all natural things, but that's why it yeah. really takes kind of diligence to consistently apply them. It's really the best way to keep ourselves safe and help manage what are really precious resources, whether it's tests, uh, treatments as they become mm -hmm. available. We want to make sure that the people re that really need these can get access to them. Yeah, and also just the time that people would have to be out of work if they have to go into quarantine. That's often a powerful argument too, is just you really want to have to stay home from work for two weeks because you've been exposed. And so all of those things are a great reminder. So I will end with a question that we're all dying to know. Do you have designer masks, Phil, and do you match your outfit for the day? <laughs> um, not yet. No, I have some. And now I have some that I, I, I just ordered some that are made by a cycling apparel company. So I can oh, actually nice. cycling specific masks that I, I'm going to be wearing. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thanks again, Val. It's always great to have you. Yeah, it's, uh, I, there's uh, no shortage of things to talk about. So Absolutely. including my choice of, of my mask as a fashion statement. So we'll always have that. <laughs> thanks, Val. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.